Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And uh, if you guys got your Bibles, head over to uh, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Genesis 2 and 3. We are starting a five-week series today that I've been working on, by the way, for about two years that we are just calling Act Like Men. That's the title of the series, Act Like Men. Now, really quick, some of you right now, you're going, whoa, whoa, you can't say that. That's gender stereotyping, okay? Well, before you get in your Prius and go home, let me read a uh, Bible verse real quick and and uh, that's a joke. Okay, now, uh, what I do want you to see, I'm literally just quoting a Bible verse. This comes straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where the Apostle Paul tells the men of the church at Corinth, for real, he tells them this right here. You're going to see it in just a second. It's going to be awesome. Actually, I'm going to read it. It's going to be even better, okay? What he says is, be watch. No, it didn't. Okay. He says, be watch. Did it? No. Okay. <laughs> be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be vigilant. And then he says, act like men, let all that you do be done in love. Now, let me get something out of the way before we start this series, because it's going to be for the next five weeks. Um, some of the ladies, uh, as I've been like kind of teasing that we're going to do this series for a little bit, um, I am anticipating the question, well, what about us? Well, what about us? Matt, let me just say this. Like, listen, it, it, listen, if you can just stop and think, this whole series is for you, because, because look, that's right. The whole, some of y'all are already getting, these are the ones that get it, okay? Now, Here's why I say that, because if you are a married woman, I'm trying to fix the one you got. And if you are a single woman, this is what people say all the time is, Pastor Josh, where are all the good men? Where did all of them go? Listen, what I'm trying to do is create good ones for you to get. I'm trying, that's right, amen. We're having revival up in here, man. And so that's why I'm trying to solve the supply side issue of the demand side problem. That's what I'm trying to do. So we're just going to like, in a very, you just need to know, I, again, we've already said this. This is a PG-11 um, sermon. You, that'll probably be the case for a different message in the series because this will be a very straightforward, frank discussion from the Bible on what it means to be a godly man and to step into that calling. Now, last thing I want to say for our ladies is that my wife, Jana, as you heard in LP News, both tonight, so first week of the series and last week of the series, Jan is going to be doing an online discussion called Act Like Women, where she encourages ladies to kind of go like, hey, here's what we can do to help and encourage the men in our lives into the callings God has given them. Also, Jana has prepared during this series, behind every good man is a praying woman. And Jana during this series has created uh, weekly prayers and scriptures to give to the ladies of Lake Point to be praying for our husbands, our sons, the men in our lives. And so you can text the word Jana to the number 20411 to get all that uh, sent to your phone and she's not gonna bombard you. That's all you're gonna get, okay? Now, 
Here we go. Let's start preaching. I am about to say some things that are not politically correct, but they are biblically correct. And I'm doing that because I've got an assumption. My assumption is if you just wanted to hear what was politically correct, you would have stayed home in your PJs. You would have been grilling all morning, getting ready for the NFL kickoffs later today. Go Bengals. And that's, let me just have to get that in there. I'm, I'm from Cincinnati. I got to say that. You would have done all that. You would have stayed home in your PJs. That's what I'm assuming. And you would have watched, uh, you would have watched cable news. That's what I'm assuming. But you didn't do that. You took the showers. You put on the makeup. You got all dressed up. You got the kids and combed their hair and did all the minivan deal. And you got them all here. And I'm assuming you went through all of that trouble because you wanted to hear what the Bible had to say about what it likes to, looks like to live in this world. And so we're going to do that, man. So let me begin this series like this. When I was 13 or 14 years old, I went to an event that there was about 40,000 men in a stadium. Um, a preacher that has significantly influenced my life. And you're going to hear some things from him during this series. Uh, actually, a DFW area preacher, Dr. Tony Evans, stood in that stadium and he addressed 40,000 men. Again, I think I was about 13 or 14 years old. And here's what he said. He looked out after a long pregnant pause at all of these men and he said this. He said, if you want to change the world, change a continent. If you want to change a continent, change a country. If you want to change a country, change a state. If you want to change a state, change a city. If you want to change a city, change a neighborhood. If you want to change a neighborhood, change a family. And if you want to change a family, change a father. Now listen, that's it, man. That's the heart behind this series, and that, that, that is simply like kind of what the Bible teaches because, man, if we just distill what the Bible teaches about the role, calling, and purpose of men, we could just say it like this. I don't know if we, we got oh, that's awesome. Here it is. Where men step into their purpose, everything flourishes, and where they refuse, everything burns. And listen, can I just say this, man? You don't even have to be a Christian to believe that. Because if you just zoom out, what you're going to see is that sociology is always confirming what theology was already telling on this issue. For instance, let me toss some stats out at you. 71% of inmates and 81% of rapists come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 60% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. Many years ago, President Obama, in an address to the nation, he pointed out that children without present fathers are, listen to this, 500% more likely to live in poverty and commit a crime, 900% more likely to drop out of schools, and 2,000% more likely to end up in prison. If you just zoom out at our nation, like, man, you can look around at our nation and go, hey, man, something's wrong. Like, something's wrong. And if we're asking the question, man, what's the, what, on the human side, not, the, not necessarily the spiritual side, on the human side, what's the one highest common denominator? What's wrong? What is going on right now? What statistics tell us is that fatherlessness is the number one contributor to all five of these societal ills. The number one contributor to all five. Crime, homelessness, unwed pregnancy, poverty, and future fatherlessness. In fact, in our nation, we are obsessed. We're always talking about, man, how race and socioeconomic status, race and poverty, race and poverty, race and poverty, we're always talking about how those things contribute to societal ills or the dynamics around them. And listen, those are good and helpful discussions to have, 
Christians should lean into those conversations. Those are good things. However, what statistics also tell us is that fatherlessness is a better indicator of incarceration, predictor of incarceration than race or poverty. In our culture, like, man, here's where we're always screaming. We're going, hey, progress, 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 liberation, stand on the right side of history, equality, equity, progress, progress, progress. Well, how's this for progress? In 1965, 7.7% of babies were born to unmarried mothers. Fast forward to the year 2020, 40.5% of children are born to unmarried mothers. My friends, that is not progress and it is not liberation. It is a disaster. This is not just true societally, it is also true spiritually. In fact, I just wanna show you these statistics and listen, man, don't get mad at me. Like these are just statistics. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm the messenger here. Here's what's true spiritually. If a family member comes to Christ, what I'm getting ready to show you is the influence they have on the rest of the family coming to Christ. So first of all, if a wife comes to Christ, there's an 18% chance that the rest of the family all begins to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes what God does is he will work upwards from the hearts of the children to the parents. And so here's what also happens is if one of the children, if the kids come to Christ, there's actually a 22% chance the rest of the family's influence for Christ. But check this out. What this shows is that if a father comes to Christ, there is a 94% chance that the rest of the family is influenced to follow Jesus. So can I just make a point really quick? And I wanna make a very visual point. At all of our campuses, I need all of the men at the campuses to raise your hand. Men, and, men at all of our campuses, raise your hand. Keep them up, keep them up, okay? Now look around the room. The futures of the people with their hands down are dependent upon the lives of the people with their hands up. That is simply what we see both in the Bible and in statistics. So here's what we gotta do, man. We gotta ask a question that we are not very good at answering anymore in our culture. We gotta answer the question, what is a man? We're actually like not great at answering that question anymore. What is a man? Okay, now, for a lot of people, what I, here's what I gotta do. I gotta blast some stuff out before I build some stuff up, okay? What a lot of people do is they'll define manhood in one very particular like comic book way. And a lot of people look at, uh, man, there's a pastor friend of mine, a guy named Joby Martin is a friend of Lake Point. He's preached at our men's nights before. And they look like at a guy like Joby Martin. By the way, Joby Martin has an incredible online Bible study called Be a Godly Man that I learned a lot for this sermon and this series from. So you're gonna hear from him through this sermon, okay? But a lot of people look at a guy like Joby Martin, they go, oh, well, that, that that's a man. And they'd say that because here's the kind of guy he is, man. He's the kind of guy, he drives a four-wheel drive truck. He's a former power lifter. His favorite color is camo. He's got a big old beard. He could probably take you in a fight. He's got more guns and he's got fingers. He might've had one on him while he was preaching here at Lake Point on this stage. Uh, he's the kind of guy that likes cold beer and uh, not too much, just enough. Uh, he loves college football. God bless him. He's a Georgia fan. He's friends with Tim Tebow. And he's the kind of guy that he doesn't buy dinner. He hunts dinner. And my favorite thing about him of all is he likes to fish. Praise Jesus. Okay. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people look at that and they go, oh man, well, that's a man. Listen to me, man. None of those things make him a man. They make him awesome. But that's not what makes him a man. Okay. 
It, for us to understand what it means to be a man, here's what we got to do is design indicates destiny. Design indicates destiny. So we got to go back to how God designed men to understand the destiny that he created men to fulfill. So let's go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And again, I got to blast some things out before I build some stuff up. So I'm going to start right here with what a man is not. What a man is not. Now, now, as I say these things and they come up on the screen, you'll be like, well, that's very obvious. It's not as, I'm a, I'm a, as I'll point out to you, it's not as obvious as you might think. Number one, let me just say it in a straightforward way. A man is not an animal. A man is not an animal. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, the Bible says. In our likeness, God said this about the man. So that they may, and say these yellow words with me, so that they may... Rule over, is it down there? Oh, it's not, there it is. It's not, it's actually, it's not yellow words, okay? <laughs> the fish in the sea, <laughs> we'll get there. And the birds in the sky over all the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here's what we get in the Bible is that God creates everything and everything's good. And he creates, you know, sun, moon, sky, stars, sky, night, day, everything, land, sea. And then he creates animals. And you need to understand this, that on the side of creation, Man and animals are in one category. But in the side of deity and eternity, we are categorically different things. Because when God gets to the man, there's only one creature that he creates in his image. That makes you of infinite value, no matter of your race, socioeconomic status, ability, disability, socio anything. So he creates mankind in his image and then he breathes the breath of life into only one creature and that's mankind. And so what that means is that man is not an animal. Now, here's why I say this. Animals are ruled by their desires. Animals are things of unbridled instinct. So here's how animals work, okay? When they get hungry, they eat. When they get angry, they fight. When they get tired, they sleep. When they get horny, they breathe. I said it was PG-11 sermon. We're just going right at it. And many animals even eat their own offspring. Now, can I be really honest? In some corners, that is the definition of a man. The manliest dude is the guy who can eat the most food, drink the most beer, win the most fights, bed the most women, and then convince them to kill the child in the womb if they don't feel like fathering them, just like animals. And think about this, man. If we define manhood like that, it should come as no surprise to us that the abuse of women and sexual assault spikes, unemployment rises, and now half of children in America are born into families without fathers. Can I just say something in a straightforward way, man? We have spent an entire generation telling them that they're nothing but purposeless animals, and then we act all surprised when they act like purposeless animals. But this is wrong, why? Because a man is not an animal, okay? Now, number two, a man is not a boy. A man is not a boy. There is a difference between the words male and man, and just because you are a male, that does not automatically make you a man. There are six-year-olds in my daughter Felicity's class that are biologically male, but they still cry when they don't get their way, and Felicity can beat most of them up, okay? So again, having a penis does not make you a man. That's the first time you ever heard that word in a sermon. I promise, right there, man. It doesn't make you a man, it just makes you male, so let me show you the difference between a, a boy in the Bible. What is the difference between boyhood and manhood in the Bible? Well, here's what boys do. Boys say to the rest of the world, you are responsible for me. That's what boyhood is. And there's nothing wrong with it when boys, young boy, there's nothing wrong with that 
at a certain stage of your life. So here's what boys do. They go, you feed me, you clothe me, you house me, you, when I mess in my diaper, you clean me up. Boys live with their parents and make their mom clean their messes up. Now listen, there's nothing wrong. Like, there's nothing wrong with little boys. Like, in fact, little boys are awesome. Little boys are cute. Now, I've showed you these pictures before. I'm gonna use the same pictures to make a different point. So I got a little boy in my house. I got a three-year-old. This is a picture of him from last year. This is my little boy, Hudson. And he's, he's adorable. He's got his Paw Patrol hat on. He is all about some Marshall, y'all. So this is Huddy. Now, you tell me, man. I, I think he is. is. Y'all think my little boy is cute. Is he cute? I think he's real cute. I think he's awesome. He's the awesomest little boy in the whole world to me. Now, do you know that's cute? You know what's not cute? This right here. This is not cute, okay? <laughs> that's not cute. And part of the reason that's not cute is that violates a principle that I, t- I, I this is a, a life principle. Nobody wants to see their pastor's nipples. That's like a principle that I have in my life, okay? I know that, okay? Now, here's my point. One of those pictures was cute, and one of those pictures was terrifying. Now, can I just point this out to you, ma'am? Little boys are cute, but grown men acting like little boys aren't cute, and they wreak havoc on society, families, and churches. Can I just show you like a pattern that you see in the Bible that God gives? I'm going to read you two verses from Genesis. Now, a lot of people miss this. You're going to notice God prescribed a very specific order in these verses, and you're going to notice it's a transition from you are responsible to me to transition all the way to now, I am using my strength in my life to be responsible for other people. That's manhood. So watch this. Watch this order, Genesis 2.15. Then God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? You say it, to work it and take care of it. That's step one. Therefore, a man shall, you say it, shall what? Leave his father and his mother. There's some 48-year-old woman's going, amen. What? Please, Lord, let that happen. That's it. And hold fast to, now you say it, and what? And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Now, did you see the order? Well, here's the order, okay? God put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Step one. And then it was leave your, your mom and dad, cleave to a wife, and then become one flesh. So did you see the order? First, God gives him a job, step one. And then he moves out of mom and dad's house, step two. And then step three, he marries a woman. And then only after those three steps, step four, then they sleep with each other. So that's the order. Job, so job, move out. I'm gonna make this really clear. Job, move out. So move, marry a woman and then have sex in that order. Now, was that order clear? Is that order clear? Now, all the single guys are like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's up for interpretation. Up for interpretation. You know, I don't know. When we see it. All the dads of daughters are like, yes, very clear. That's a very, very clear order. Now, what I want you to see is, did you see how that order worked? Is in boyhood, everyone else is responsible for me. But along those steps, that boy grew up and became a man, and the process of him becoming a man was transferring from you are responsible for me to now I am responsible for other people and my family. 
See, that's the transition from boyhood to manhood. And listen, man, listen, let me just say something like a little kind of straightforward. What we have right now is we've got like a lot of guys, they got no job, they don't shower, they don't shave, they don't own any shirts with buttons on them. They play video games and watch porn all day. And they're like, why can't I get a date? Okay, well, here's why. Because girls don't want to be a mom and marry a boy. That's amen, she said. You hear that? That's it, man. Like, you know, you know this. Women think jobs are sexy. Like, write that down. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later, okay? So that's number one. A man is not a boy. Boys make other people responsible for them. Men take responsibility for other people. Number three, and this is the most controversial of them all, like, just hang out. A man is not a woman. <laughs> and I know this. Okay, now, let me talk about this. Hang on. Let me talk about this. So... Let's read this. This is Genesis 1.27. This is actually it's up here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, let me step out and let me be a pastor really quick and let me wear a hat of compassion, okay? What studies show, and they have shown this for a long time, is that there is a genuine biological and mental issue that's called gender dysphoria that historically, and this, this rate has remained steady for decades, affects one out of every 30,000 to one out of every 100,000 people, okay? A, an infinitesimally small number of people have historically experienced what biologists and sociologists, they call gender dysphoria. One out of 30,000 to one out of 100,000, okay? Now listen, for people who experience that agony, like I've actually heard somebody describe this, that actually experienced gender dysphoria, and they're like, man, it's like every day I wake up and I wish I could chop off my genitals with a pair of scissors. Like, listen, man, if somebody genuinely wrestles with a biological issue like that, I have tremendous compassion for that. In fact, I cannot imagine the agony of that. So hear me, I am not against you. The Lord Jesus loves you. And he created you in his image and you and your body matter to him, okay? So that's number one. Number two, however, what we're seeing right now is that while that rate has remained steady, one out of every 30,000 to one out of every 100,000 people, gender dysphoria, now it's like skyrocketing and all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like 20% of the next generation. Now, do you know what that is? That's not biology, that's ideology. You understand that. So you see what's happening is yes, we wanna have compassion on the hurting. Like that's the Jesus thing. However, part of having compassion on people is opposing ideologies that hurt them. And so what we need to do is we need to understand from the word of God that listen, God created people biologically male and biologically female with differences written down into their DNA and their spirits, the way that their brains are wired, all of these things. And those differences are not bad. They are beautiful things that complement one another and image the glory of God together, okay? So we must understand this. So now, let me just show you, I, this is all throughout the scriptures. Let me give you just one example of this, okay? 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the, I'm gonna make you say it out loud. You say it as the, okay. Now, some of you are like, what? Okay, just hang on, hang on, okay. Now, when the Bible uses that word weaker vessel, the word vessel is the word for cup. It's something you drink out of. So all the Bible's saying is, hey, there's different types of vessels 
And men are different than women. That's all it's saying. So now, some people get caught up on, oh, weaker must equal worse. That's not what it means. Can I just show you this real quick? Okay, so here's an example of this. I got two vessels here with me. Okay, I got a big gulp. I got a champagne glass. Okay, now, you guys tell me, pop quiz, which one is the stronger vessel? Big gulp, good job, good job. Okay, you're doing better than our culture right now. Okay, big gulp. Now, which one is the weaker vessel? Champagne glass, good job. Okay, which one's better? Okay, exactly right. Now, I heard a lot of champagne glass comments and now I'm offended. <laughs> now, now I'm offended, okay? Now, can I just point this out? Which one's better? The answer to that question is, well, well it depends for what use. You, you see how that works? He said, man, um, if I'm trying to stay hydrated on a construction site, I, I'm gonna need a big gulp, not a champagne glass. If I'm trying to get lucky at the end of a date night with Jana, I'm gonna need this. In fact, like, here, husband, this is totally free. This is totally free, man. Like, y'all just, <laughs> just hang on. Here, like, don't do this. And some of y'all actually need this. Don't try this. Don't get the end of your, end of your date night and be like, hey, babe, you in the mood? That ain't gonna work, man. It ain't gonna work. Because why? Because different vessels are better for different purposes. Now, you need to see that, okay? Now, here's what we're seeing. Those differences between men and women are good. They're good. They're things to be stepped into. Listen, I got, I got two daughters. I got one son. Can I tell y'all, boys and girls are different. They are different. If two sticks fall out of trees in front of my daughters, Eliana and Felicity, they're going to make them friends. If a stick falls out of a tree in front of Hudson, he's going to make it an AR-15. And listen, that's okay. That's okay because, guys, listen to me. Sometimes that, that little boy is going to need to trade in his stick gun for a real gun, and he's going to need to stand up and act like a man and stand on a wall and defend his country and his family. So listen, man, those differences are by God's design and they are good things. So a man is not a woman. Now here's the question. So what, what is a man? We need, to, we need to roll, we need to roll here. So what is a man? What we see in the scriptures is that God has given men three distinct callings. And we'll tease these out for the rest of the entire series. I gotta go quick. Number one, let me read verses and then talk about them. God gave man three distinct callings. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to, you say it again, to Work it and keep it. Number one is God gives man work to enjoy. He gives him work to enjoy. Now I wanna point this out. Did you notice in the Bible that when God creates everything, everything when God creates it initially is good. God's like, all this stuff is good. Sun, moon, stars, night, day, everything, everything it's all good. And then sin comes and everything gets wrecked and ruined. But did you notice that God gave man work before the fall? Before anything bad entered the world, God gave man work. Why? Because work is actually a good thing. Work is a good thing. Work is something that we were designed to step into. And let me say this, men, you were designed to work. In fact, you will never be happy. You will never be fulfilled until you are pouring yourself out in God-honoring work to enjoy. There's a theology behind this. I'm gonna tease this. There's a whole sermon on this coming in like three weeks. So God is a creator and we are created in the image of God. And so God created mankind as a co-creator. 
Men, you were created to work. Now, really quick, let me say a quick word to young men and a quick word to older men. Okay, young men, let me just say something. And again, I'm gonna say something with a bit of an edge. Listen to me, man, I am not, this is not a beat you down sermon. This is a build you up sermon. I'm trying to protect you from pain. That's what I'm trying to do. Listen, young men, here's what a lot of guys do. Here's how their lives go. They start and they act like children. They spend their, here's what they do. They work really hard to never have to work. So they start and they act like children and then they grow up, but, but they avoid responsibility. Then they go to college and they drink and party instead of actually doing work and, and schoolwork and that kind of thing. They don't work hard to get a good job. So then they can't handle the college cost. And instead of working hard to take responsibility for the college cost they incurred, they vote for people who will make everybody else pay for their college cost. Now, did you see what happened? Did you see how that worked? Is what happened is I worked really, really, really hard to not have to work. Now listen, I'm not saying this at you. I'm saying this for you because you will never be happy as a man until you have work to enjoy. And here's what I've seen as a pastor. If, because men were designed to work, if you do not channel your energy into good work, you will channel it into bad exploits. Sin, crime, addiction, and distractions that lead to depression. When I was a young man, a pastor said this to me in a straightforward way I have never forgotten. He just said, men are like trucks, they drive better with a load. That's how you were designed to go. Now, older men, now here's what I know. I, I can't decide if I'm younger. I got a lot of gray, man, so I, I don't know if I, which category here. Uh, here's what I know. If some of you may go, man, Josh, like honestly, you're not of a life stage to address me as an older man. Well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a word from Pastor Steve Stroop, our founding pastor, and that's gonna come through me and so you can be mad at him and not me, okay? So let me just say this older man is that this calling, it doesn't stop at retirement. It doesn't stop at retirement. There's not a certain age at which this calling and your design goes away. So Pastor Steve Stroop, founding pastor of our church, I think he's 68 years old right now. Guys, he's going full bore for the kingdom of God right now. He's overseeing our church planting network, coaching pastors, helping business meetings, doing all this stuff. Here's, if Steve were here with you as an older man, I've heard this say, say it a thousand times. Here's what he would tell you if you're approaching retirement. Number one, he would say retirement's not biblical. But number two, he would say from the human tax perspective, whenever you retire, here's what he'd say. The only way you can be happy is you can't retire from something, you've got to retire to something. Why? Because you were designed to pour yourself out for work to enjoy. I've got a 95 year old grandfather that lives still on the farm that he was born in, in the early 1900s. That farm in upstate New York has been in our family, I think now for eight generations. My grandpa Hemingway uh, was a full-time farmer, I think until he was 84 years old, way back when he was young, okay? Grandpa Hemingway, here's what Grandpa Hemingway, I've heard him say this before. In his later years of farming, what he said is, I used to think I was keeping the farm alive, and now I realize the farm is keeping me alive. When you cease to have a purpose to work for, you don't have a reason to live anymore. And God designed you to pour yourself out for this work. So that's number one, work to enjoy. Here's calling number two, God has given men, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So everything, you can have everything. It's all, go enjoy it all, is what God said. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The second thing God gives man is he gives him a will to obey. 
a will to, to obey. Now, I wanna point something out really quick here because what Satan wants to do is attack your view of God. What he wants you to do is to stop seeing God as a loving father who loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. And he wants you to begin to see him as a harsh rule giver. But did you notice in the Bible that like God creates mankind, breathes the breath of life into him, and then mankind opens his eyes and he's face to face with his maker. That's how you were designed to live in a face-to-face relationship with your creator. Now, here's what I'll point out. So God said, of every tree you can eat, go have it all, have fun. There's only one tree that I'm commanding you not to eat. So I just wanna point this out. God gave man a thousand yeses and only one no. In fact, that's how good God is. Uh, so, So did you notice that like, think about the command God gives. Like, well, here's how good God is. His first command to mankind is be fruitful and multiply. That's Hebrew for bow, chicka, wow, wow. That's the first command he gives. Amen, man, that's how good God is. So here's what God is like. God is like a dad that stocks the pantry with all the best snacks, and then he says, oh, by the way, don't drink the bleach under the sink. When God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. Now, let me just say it. Men, you are going, let me just say this, man, like in a straightforward way, men, you are going to have to decide whose will has the ultimate authority in your life, your will or God's will. There are going to be areas in your, and I'm gonna give you some specific categories. Here, men, here are the categories you're gonna wrestle with. There are gonna be areas in your relationships, finances, morals, and sexuality. Relationships, finances, morals, and sexuality, where your desires are different than God's decrees. But in the end, there are only two types of people. Either the Bible stands in authority over your beliefs or your beliefs stand in authority over the Bible. Men, God has given you as a man a will to obey. And before you can stand up and act like a man, you have to kneel down and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's given you a will to obey. Now, check this out, number three. Let's move, Genesis 2.18. It's a bit of a longer passage to track with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'm gonna make you say a word here in a second. I will make him a helper, great job, a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, they'll become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed, amen. Now, here's step number three. The third thing God gives man is a woman to love. A woman to love. Now, ladies, I'm gonna talk to you for a second, okay? So it said that God, what did he say? He said, I will make him, what did he call you? I will make him a helper. That's a great job, helper. Now, it said helper, not shamer. Did you notice that? So let me help this out. Let me do something. He made you a helper. Here's how not to help your man during this sermon series. Here's how not to help him. Here's what he does not need. At no point during the next five weeks, does he need you to bring up the sermon that was preached earlier that week? He don't, like, you know, like, you don't need to get into Wednesday night and be like, so. Like, he doesn't need that, man. Like, like just, he, he's already got a Holy Spirit. You're not it. And so, now, so you need to understand that. That's it, man. So it says, helper, not shamer. So don't do that. Now, don't bring up the sermon. Now, let me say this. If he's got half a brain in his head, at some point during the next five weeks, he's gonna like tiptoe up to the edge of the water and just dip his little toe in to something that got said from the Bible and he's gonna try something. Now, when he does that, 
You don't need to correct him. He doesn't need correction. Actually, if you did it this way, it'd be better. No, no, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need you to go, finally. (laughs) Finally. He doesn't need that, man. Here's how to respond when he tries anything in these directions. Here's what you do. You just go, good boy. Good boy. You're doing so good. Why? Here's why. Because men are like puppies. Whatever gets rewarded gets repeated. So when he tries any of this, you just go, good boy, you get a treat later. And you can figure out what kind of treat to give him later. You, good boy. And I promise, listen, man, what you celebrate, you cultivate. Write that down. Write that down, okay? So now, that, that's it. Now, men, let me talk to you. It said a woman to love. It says to love her, not to use her. It said to love her, not to use her. The order was leave, cleave, become one flesh. And what a lot of guys do is instead of loving women, they use women for their personal pleasure. Instead of pouring out their strength for women and children, they use their strength against women and children to get from them what they want. That is very frankly evil boyhood instead of godly manhood. So like right now, again, the order was leave, cleave, become one flesh. So leave mom and dad, get married, and then have sex. That's what it looks like to honor that order to love the women in your life. Now, all the single guys right now that are sleeping with their girlfriends, right now you're grabbing her hand and you're like, oh, don't worry, babe. He's not talking to us. We're married in our hearts. That's what he's saying. And what he really means is you're married in your pants and he wants you to keep giving him all of your body even though he's not willing to promise you all of his life. That's what he really means. Okay, so men, let me just ask you this question. If, if you were God, if you were God, would you give you one of your daughters? If you were God, would you give you one of your daughters? Like, like some of you, I just want to ask, like, what would you even do if God gave you one? You don't even have a job. Like, like what would you do? You'd be like, well, man, pastor, I, I listen, I know exactly what I'd do if God gave me a woman. Okay, bro, after those 90 seconds of glory, then what? Then what would you do? Okay, so listen, man, so this is what this looks like. Honor this order, And then men, if you are unmarried, and we're gonna talk about all this later in the series, if you're not married yet, here's what it looks like to do this. Love your mom, love your sisters, and especially love your sisters in Christ at Lake Point Church. Because you are called to someday love, honor, and cherish a woman. If you can't do that now, what makes you think that someday you'll just flip a switch and start doing it? That's not gonna happen, okay? Now, all of this, I gotta land the plane. All of this was God's design, and it went awesome, for one sentence in the whole Bible, okay? Here's what happens next, Genesis 3, one through six. Now, I'm gonna point something out to you. There is, let's, let's just read this. Now, the serpent was more crafty, this is Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Now, side note, remember, Eve was created in the image of God. She was already like God. If she was in her right mind when Satan said that, she would have said, I've already got that. I'm already like God. I don't need anything from you to be complete. Knowing good and evil, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. Now, I'm gonna highlight something to you you've probably never noticed before. And she also gave some to her husband, you say it, her husband who was with her and he ate. Adam was right there. 
He was not out hunting or fishing or building a tree fort. He wasn't doing any of that. He was right there. And here's what I think he might've been saying. He was standing passively by watching his wife deceived into something that would destroy her. And I think he was thinking something like this. You know what, man, honestly, like I've been kind of like wondering myself what that fruit would taste like. And listen, I mean, I don't want to step in and say anything. I don't want to support the patriarchy. You know, I need to let her make her own decision. She's a strong, independent woman. I'm going to let her do her thing and she can make her own decisions. I'm, I'm just going to stand passively by and just let her do whatever, okay? So watch this. The original problem wasn't that the man did the wrong thing. It was that he did nothing. And men, what you need to know is that that was the original sin of mankind. It was passivity. Men, this will be the greatest temptation in your life. Not lust of the eyes, not losing your temper, lack of leadership, And here's why this is so dangerous. Because if you will not lead your family, Satan will be happy to do so. That's what happens in Genesis 2 and 3. Listen, after, think about this. In Genesis 3, after the fall of mankind, Eve takes the fruit, gives some to Adam. God comes to them searching for them in the garden. He's a loving dad. He's like, I want my kids back, man. Let me find my kids. And he addresses Adam for the sin of Eve. Why? Because Adam was responsible for his family. And God asked this question. He says, Where are you? That's what he says in Genesis 3. Where are you? That same question today is echoing across the millennia to passive, absent, emotionally absent, spiritually absent, physically absent men. Where are you? Where are you? Your kids are rebellious and hurting. Where are you? Your finances are a mess. Where are you? Your wife is melting down and she's struggling. Where are you? This matters because if you will not lead your family, Satan will be happy to do so. He will do this for your wife. He will do this for your children. Listen, man, dad, show up for your kids. Dads, fight for your kids. Go after your kids. This is the first time in our nation's history that we have more kids growing up in homes without a dad than with a dad. And you wonder why this place is all jacked up. So man, Lake Point Church, listen, Lake Point Church, you wanna change the world? How about every man, every man stand up and act like a man and fight for the hearts of their children and that'll change everything. How about we do that, man? That'll change everything. So this is what we see. Now, the last question, man, is okay, so what are we gonna do about it? (laughs) Here's the calling, men. What are we gonna do about it? Try harder? I'll try harder. Cowboy up. You know, that's why I'm a cowboy up. Good luck. You need some power outside of yourself that can change you from the inside out and redeem what was broken at the beginning. Let me read you this passage from Romans 5, 17. It's about Jesus. I don't have a big emotional ending. This is a sermon to men. It's a straightforward ending. For if by the trespass of the one man, and it's talking about Adam, it's talking about Adam. For the tres- by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more, <laughs> so much, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Do you know what the book of Romans calls Jesus? The second Adam. I love this so much. Think about this. Because where the first Adam failed at a tree and it brought death to all men, the second Adam succeeded at a tree and it brought life to all men. You see that? Watch this, man. 
Jesus Christ was the man that Adam failed to be. Think about this. Here's on Milana Plain. What should, go back to Genesis 2. What should Adam have done when a serpent came for his wife and family? What should he have done? You know what he should have done? The second he saw somebody coming for his family, he should have stepped forward and put himself in between the tree and his wife. And he should have looked that serpent in the face and said, over my dead body. And then he should have, listen, he should have engaged in mortal combat to fight that serpent to death, risking his own life for those he loved in an effort to crush its head. And the Bible says that thousands of years later, after death and brokenness reigned in men everywhere, Jesus Christ came as a second Adam. And when the serpent was coming for us again, Jesus stepped forward at the cross and he put his body in between the tree and those he loved. And he successfully said, over my dead body. And the Bible says, and the Bible says that in that moment when he was crucified for our sins, that he crushed the head of that serpent. And now everyone who calls on his name is given a power to be liberated from the enslaving death that that serpent brought at the beginning. You can become a new man by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. You can do that. Before you stand up and act like a man, you must first kneel to the Lordship of Jesus. And right now what I wanna do is at all of our campuses, I wanna pray over the men of Lake Point Church that we step into this with boldness, joy, and grace. And so here's what I'm gonna ask, man. Maybe a little uncomfortable. Man, surely you can do that. I'm gonna ask all the men at our church at all of our campuses, would you stand right now? Just the men, why don't you stand? If you are a wife, if you are a son or a daughter, if you're, if you're near a man that you care about that's important in your life, I just ask you while I pray to just place your hand on them. And, uh, and I wanna pray for the men of our church. And let me do this right now. And so Heavenly Father, I'm asking for you to pour out the spirit of the great, resurrected, perfect man, Jesus Christ, on these men. God, I pray that this week I know what the enemy's gonna do. He's gonna whisper in their ears all the ways they failed, all the ways they're not enough. He's gonna say to them, you are not that guy. And in that moment, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind them, yeah, but Jesus was that guy and he was that for me. And now all of my past mistakes can be washed away. And now your spirit can dwell inside these men to give them power to be new men, redeemed men who lay their lives down for the people around them. And they take up responsibility to build and protect something good, glorious, beautiful, true, God-honoring, loving, joyful, peaceful in this world for the people of this world and the glory of God. And Father, I pray that today would maybe be the first day of the rest of their lives, that you would not just change lives, but as a result of their faith and the power of your spirit, you wouldn't just change lives, you would change legacies. That family trees would be different because of what you did on that tree 2000 years ago and this man who by faith connected to that tree. And so Father, I pray that we would give ourselves to you in full surrender and submission. We love you and we pray that in the crucified risen name of the son of man, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Men, you can sit down. Men can be seated. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, 
visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake